Go with me to Genesis 32. Genesis 32. Don't be that person. Just kidding. Sorry, Molly. For how, if you guys, like guys, I don't know. Some of you know me. I am extremely introverted. And I really don't like having the attention on me, as weird as it is that I'm a consistent communicator. So when people clap, I feel awkward, and I just hate feeling awkward. So, yeah, that's why I say don't clap. But, whatever. Genesis 32. We're going to talk about a guy named Jacob tonight. Um, Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. That is where we ended last uh, two weeks ago. We, uh, we talked about Abraham and him taking Isaac up on the mountain and being willing to sacrifice him and God proving himself faithful to what that defines for us as far as faith. So Jacob is Abraham's grandson. He is Isaac's son. And it's important to kind of start putting together the lineage because it's through Abraham and his descendants that we start seeing the line that forms till David. And then from David, we can trace to Jesus. And we're going to talk about some things tonight. We're going to use words like birthright and blessing. And these things are important because it's through the blessing, the mantle in essence, that's passed down father to son, father to son, that establishes that Abrahamic covenant that we talked about a couple weeks ago, that through the line of Abraham, the world would be blessed. So some of these things are important as we look backwards. And we're going to start... We're going to end in Genesis 32, but I'm going to back us up to Genesis 25 to give us some context. So, Isaac's wife, his name is Rebecca, all right? And Rebecca was struggling to have kids. Isaac starts to pray to God saying, please think kindly of my wife, Rebecca, and help her get pregnant. I'm doing all I can. You need to do something, Lord, right? And so, some of you guys will get that later. When you're adults, ask your parents. It'll work out. But um, Rebecca gets pregnant, says that she has twins. And they were fighting in her womb so much so that she actually prays to God and says, can you explain what's going on? Because they're fighting all the time in my womb. And God's response to her is that there's two nations in your womb, two different nations that will be established, just like we see and their grandfather, Abraham, with Ishmael and Isaac. We see this continue. And two nations are going to be established in your womb. And the younger, or the older, will serve the younger. And this is scandalous in this time because the oldest son would be the one who became the patriarch of the family once his father died. Also, he would be the one that continues this lineage that we're talking about as being important. He would be the one who would receive the blessing that through all the nations, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So Rebecca hides this in her heart. It's said in Jewish folklore that anytime they walked past a pagan idol, Esau would get excited in Rebecca's womb. Anytime they went to worship the Lord, that Jacob would get excited in Rebecca's womb. These are how distinct and different these two nations were going to be. And yet, we see God starting to establish a different order that the older will serve the younger. Comes time for them to be born and Rebecca gives birth. Esau comes out first. Esau means red and hairy because Esau was red and hairy. He's like a ginger Chewbacca, basically. (laughs) 
But then Jacob comes out holding on to the foot of Esau. And Jacob's name is also descriptive of what happened in their birth. But Jacob's name means this, the grabber of one's heel. You could continue to extrapolate that out. The definition actually means someone who deceives, someone who takes something that is not his. A liar and a thief. I remember in kindergarten getting the assignment to go home and ask my parents what my name meant. I was the only Ed I knew, right? And so I go home, hey mom, hey dad, what does Ed mean? Like, why did you give me that name? And my grandma did cross stitch. I don't know if you know what that is. Like, you know, the stuff that they make the little doilies that sit in old people's houses on like on their tables and stuff. Like, that's what my grandma did. And she was really good at it. And so I had this description in cross-stitch of what Ed meant. Ed means protector and leader and overseer. And I've held on to that since kindergarten as a description of who I was. Can you imagine Jacob in his kindergarten class? Hey, Jacob, what's your name mean? Um, It means that I lie. Uh, It means I take stuff that's not mine. Thanks, Dad. That's great. Awesome. You imagine the words being spoken over Jacob every time his name is called. Some of us growing up, some of us even now, we have a name, right? But we also have that name that if we're being honest, it's what we really think about ourselves. I'm a loser. I'm a failure. And we spend most of our lives trying to prove the name we think about ourselves not true. And it's going to come back to that a little later on. It says in the same chapter in Genesis 25 that as Jacob and Esau grew, that Esau became a hunter and a gatherer, and Isaac loved Esau. But Rebekah, she loved Jacob. Jacob is the first mama's boy in the Bible. It says that he was plain. It says that he was simple and he enjoyed living in tents. He liked to cook. He's the first, like, homegrown dad. You know what I mean? And so he is cooking one day and he's prepared this soup and Esau comes out from hunting and he's super hungry. He walks up to Jacob and says, I am so hungry. I'm so hungry I'm going to die. Give me some of that soup. And Jacob says, well, give me your birthright first. And Esau's response is, I'm so hungry I'm going to die. What does my birthright give me anyways? It's the... One of the first times we see a sin, a missing of the mark, due to convenience. Esau gave up what was rightfully his for what he could enjoy right now. And and we give up, a lot of times, what's rightfully, we give up our peace. And we give up our joy, and we give up our purity, and we give up our excess and our abundance and our generosity because what we want right now seems a whole lot more convenient. Kind of similar to what we see Adam and Eve do in the creation story. Apple seems a whole lot more fun and convenient right now than what I could have for the rest of eternity. We see Esau give up what is rightfully his. And this is when we see Jacob begin to establish himself as a deceiver. A couple chapters later, Isaac is old. He's ready to die. He calls Esau into his room and says, I'm about to die. I'm really old. I want you to go kill some game, cook me a meal, bring it in. I'm going to give you our family blessing. In essence, cementing him as the next patriarch of the family. 
Esau goes out and does his job, but Rebecca hears this and she's concerned because remember, she had this promise from God that Esau was going to serve Jacob and she figures, I have to make this happen. Just like Sarah did with Abraham when she gave Abraham Hagar. We start seeing family dysfunction repeating over and over. So she calls Jacob in and says, your dad's about to bless Isaac. We can't have this happen. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go out and we're going to kill one of the lambs and we're going to cook your dad's favorite meal and you're going to bring it into him and you're going to trick him like you're Esau and you're going to get the family blessing. And Jacob's response to his mom is not, hey, that's ludicrous. His response is, my arms aren't hairy like Jacob's or like Esau's. Not, not I'm nothing like Esau, not I'm not Esau. His concern is I don't look like Esau. I don't smell like Esau. Rebecca says, oh, that's easy. We'll take the skin of the lamb, we'll put it on your arms, and we'll put you in your brother's clothing, and you're going to walk in, and you're going to present the food. Jacob says, that might just work. He walks in in front of his dad, covered in lamb fur, and puts the food down. And Isaac says, you don't sound like Esau. Let me touch your arms. Touches his arms and feels the wool and says, okay, you're Esau. Eats the food, blesses Jacob. We see now again Jacob even further establishing that he's taking something that's not his. That he's a deceiver. I want to pause just for a moment in this chunk of the story and make an observation. I think it's really easy for us when we see something that God's blessing someone else with, To decide, instead of trying to understand the faithfulness and try to understand the journey they've been on to receive that, we just end up putting on some lamb's wool hoping that we can trick God into getting what isn't ours. We see someone get promoted, we see someone grow, we see someone find the love of their life, find Bay or whatever, we see them... We see things start working for someone else and we say, well, I'm just going to dress, behave, and act like they are on the outside without understanding that there's a plan and purpose, a unique one for them. And we put on the external behaviors, not understanding the internal process that God has them on. We find ourselves dressing and behaving like someone else and this is the problem is we rob God of his ability to do the unique thing that he had for us. We miss out. See, God never intended for Jacob to behave like Esau. He had a plan all along that was going to cement what he had made as a promise. And Jacob would have known this because he would have heard the story of his grandfather, which produced his dad. Wow, I really... If there was anyone who needed... To not, who, who realized that God would prove himself faithful, it was Jacob because his dad was a product of God's faithfulness and the miraculous ability to take what wasn't making sense naturally and make it happen anyways. But Jacob decides, no, I'm going to put my hands on it. I'm going to behave like someone else and try to take what isn't mine. So Esau realizes what Jacob has done, he gets really upset and says, if I see Jacob again, I'm going to kill him. So Jacob leaves, like he should, and goes to his uncle's house in a distant land. Now this is part of the story, I'm going to gloss over it, it's pretty funny, and there's a lot of good stuff in it, I hope you read it. But, 
says he got to the town that his uncle Laban lived in, and he walks up to the well. The well was kind of the central hub of town. It was, it was the place everybody gathered, right? And the shepherds are coming in from the fields to prepare to give water to the sheep. And Jacob goes, where am I? And they said, oh, you're in this town. And he goes, hey, my uncle lives here, right? And he goes, yeah, your uncle lives here. By the way, here comes his daughter. His daughter's name was Rachel. The Bible says this, and I'm not making up this series of events. That Jacob finds Rachel attractive. Okay? The top of this well was covered with this big rock, and they hadn't moved it yet because it took multiple shepherds to remove the top to have access to the water underneath. The Bible says Jacob sees Rachel, she's attractive, grabs the top of the well by himself and throws it out of the way. Which is like standard guy code for let me impress you, right? That's why at the gym, it's, I love, I'm going to get on a soapbox for a second. I love working out at the gym and watching dudes follow pretty girls around and just pick up heavy stuff. And it's like, I really hope you hurt yourself. It's going to be hilarious. Like, that mirror isn't impressed with how you look. I don't get why you keep staring at it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't really care what you bench press. It doesn't show your character. I don't really care. You know, like, it's just kind of funny. But he picks up this rock and he throws it. Rachel gets close enough. That he walks up to Rachel. He kisses her on the mouth. No introduction. No, hey, I'm hoping I can marry you someday. No, hey, let's get coffee. No, hey, can we have an intentional conversation in a group setting later? None of that, right? <laughs> he walks up to her and kisses her on the mouth. And then he starts weeping uncontrollably. <laughs> like, I'm not making it up. It's in your Bible. You can read it. Talk about most awkward first date ever. But apparently she liked it. Apparently she was into it, right? Her response is, hey, do you want to go meet my dad? Like, that's her response. So, Jacob ends up living with Laban, and it becomes apparent that Rachel and Jacob are a thing, and that they're going to get married someday, probably. And so... Laban makes this deal with Jacob. Hey, if you work for seven years for me, you can marry my daughter, Rachel, at the end. In the Bible, it's so romantic. It says that those seven years were like a day for Jacob. I know, where's that movie, right? <laughs> Which, just side thought, by the way, side thought, just, this isn't a dating, well, it kind of is a dating thought, but side thought. Girls, it's perfectly okay to watch a guy's work ethic. And I hope you do, because if he's not willing to work for you, he will not work to keep you. Just side note. So the, the, seven, the, the seven years end, and it comes time for Jacob to marry Rachel. And they throw this ultimate feast and this big wedding. And man, Culturally at this time, the bride would have worn a veil, and there would have been a ton of alcohol. So they partied for like seven days, culturally at this time. And so they're partying, 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 wedding, 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 and it comes time for Jacob and Rachel to slip out to the honeymoon suite, and they go do their thing for the night. Oh, I forgot to mention, Rachel had an older sister named Leah. Leah, the Bible says, was dim in the eyes, which is kind of like the Bible's way of saying she probably wasn't all that bright, okay? <laughs> Bible's so polite, you know, it's so nice, so PC, but... Jacob wakes up after his night with his bride and realizes he just slept with Leah. 
and not Rachel. Yeah, it's in your Bible. Like, you can look at it. It's in there, I promise. Which poses so many questions, right? It's, it's like a Mari edition, like in Genesis, you know? There's a, yeah, Jerry Springer, hey, this is awkward, but I, I slept with your sister thinking it was you. So Jacob goes back to Laban and goes, you tricked me. And Laban goes, well, actually, see, the thing you need to understand is, in, in our custom, the older sister has to get married first. Kind of interesting that Jacob tricks his older brother out of his blessing, and Laban uses Jacob to make sure that Leah gets hers. And he goes, actually, I, I really want Rachel. Can we package deal this thing? And Laban says, work another seven years and you can marry Rachel. And he works another seven years for Rachel. So we're 14 years deep for two girls, right? Which is impressive because in our culture, it's like, I'm two months deep and I'm six girls in. But Jacob was willing to work for what he knew he wanted. And he works hard. Laban treats Jacob poorly. He finishes his 14 years. He says, I'm out. Decides he wants to go home. And again, guys, I'm not doing this story justice, but I want to get to a certain point. He starts heading home, and this is where we're going to jump in. We're going to read a good chunk of Genesis 32. So Jacob has actually accumulated at this point a lot of wealth and a lot of success. And he has a, a lot of servants. He has a lot of goats. Apparently that was a big deal on that day. He has like a lot of sheep. That was important. And he's traveling with all of this from where he has been living with his father-in-law to go back home. And let's jump into Genesis 32 verse 1. Now as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. And Jacob said when he saw him, this is God's camp. So he named that place I'm not even trying to pronounce that. It starts with an M. Verse 3. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, You shall say to my lord Esau. Remember, this is the brother whose blessing he stole. Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants. And I have sent them to tell my lord that I might find favor in your sight. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and furthermore he is coming to meet you and he has 400 men with him. Imagine Jacob's stress rising. I've ticked my brother off and he's coming to meet me in the wilderness with 400 men. He's going to take me out. Verse 7, that Jacob was greatly afraid and he was distressed. And he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. For he said, if Esau comes to one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and all the faithfulness which you have shown your servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me from the hand of my brother, the hand of Esau, for I fear him, and he will come, and he will attack me and the mothers with the children. For you said I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea. He's recounting what God promised Abraham, which is too great to be numbered. So he spent the night there. 
Then he selected from what he had with him a present for his brother Esau. Interesting. He starts in his stress praying to God. And it says that he spent the night after his prayer to God, but he wakes up the next morning and starts taking things back into his own hands. He prepares a present for Esau. Hey God, I really need your help. Could you help me figure this out? Okay, not quite as fast as I thought it would be. I guess I'm going to have to handle this on my own. To 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their colts. It's an awkward thought to me, milking camels. 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He delivered them into the hands of his servants. Every drove by itself and said to his servant, pass on before me and put a space between us. He said to the one in the front, when my brother Esau meets you and asks you, saying, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whom do these animals in front of you belong? These belong to your servant Jacob. It is a present sent to my lord Esau. Look at what it says in verse 20, though. And you shall say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For Jacob said to himself, I will appease Esau with the present that goes before me. And then afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. Another observation moment. It's interesting to me that Jacob's answer is the present that he sends before him to Esau. I think if we're talking about identity and if we're talking about the image of ourselves and what Jacob must have been going through, liar, deceiver, you tricked your brother, your brother's mad at you, you have to send a present out in front of him. He's operating from a deficit. And what Jacob has shown a propensity for is doing. Jacob is great at doing stuff. But we see Jacob begin to struggle with being okay with who he is, with his being. And I think a lot of us have bought into this lie that if we can do good enough, then our being will be okay. A lot of us, if I can just find a way to work hard enough to turn off the voice in my head that says I'm something horrible, then I'm going to be okay. If I can just volunteer enough, if I can just give enough, if I can just push enough presence out in front of me to the people that I encounter, then maybe they will look at me and be okay with me. Christianity lends itself to this. If you ever talk to someone in their first response, hey, how are you doing? I'm just super busy. That's not what I asked you. I didn't ask you about what you're doing. I asked you, how is your soul? How are you doing? And we lead with the present. If, if I can just convince people I'm so busy doing good, maybe they'll believe I actually am good. Oh, and we do this on social media, right? I just served for like 36 hours straight at this nonprofit. It's all for God's glory, though. I'm going to check in at church to make sure everybody knows I went. Man, I, yeah, you know, I, I'm just so busy. Like, I just, I, I'm constantly serving people. It's all for God's glory. You ever met someone who has to let you know every good thing they ever did and has to one-up you, right? Oh, yeah, well, I gave $50 last time there was a Red Cross crisis. Oh, yeah, well, I serve in a nonprofit 
every moment that I'm not at work or sleeping. I don't even eat anymore. Just serve all the time. I did four internships at churches at once. But it's all just for God. I just wanted to grow my character. I serve on like three different teams at my church. And I'm in meetings all the time. Sounds exhausting. But what we're trying to do, and, and these things in themselves aren't bad. Please understand, I'm not saying serving is bad. I'm not saying do good is wrong. Obviously, that's what we're here to do. But when doing good is to hide how bad we're really doing on the inside, then we're not doing good, really. Really, what we're trying to do is send a present in front of us to people, hoping to distract them from what's really going on on the inside. It says that Jacob sends the family across this river that's in front of them. And we see in verse 23, he sent them across the stream and he sent whatever he had. Verse 24, then Jacob was left alone. I think if I'm being honest, this is one of the most powerful scriptures in the Old Testament. Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he was not prevailing against him, he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh so that the socket of his thigh was dislocated when he wrestled with him. Verse 26. Then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Verse 27. So he said to him, what is your name? And he responded, Jacob. And the man said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have fought with God and with men and have prevailed. You imagine the scene. Jacob has just sent everything out in front of him, hopefully as a distraction to Esau to earn his respect and approval. It says that he was left alone at night. And he began to wrestle with this man. And we see this picture now of the turmoil that was going on the inside of Jacob actually becoming external. And many commentators believe that there was actually a man, and the man was actually God. And God now had a chance to come and encounter Jacob because he was finally alone. I ask the question tonight, how often are we actually alone? And I don't just mean with people. I mean in silence. And alone. Our generation uses our phones as our alarm clocks, which means most of us probably have an awkward story of a big bruise on our face somewhere because we were sleeping like this and then the phone hit our face, right? We are never alone. We are. We're never in silence and alone. There's music on in the car. There's Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest and Tumblr, whatever your choice of social media is, to be checked. There's emails to look at. There's text messages to send. There is distraction always. And I would ask the question, is there a chance that there's distraction always because we're scared about the silence? Are we scared about being alone? And, and I know this is true for me because I struggled for a long time going to bed at night. And I would stay up for hours on end, just endlessly scrolling on my phone. Why? Because I was scared about what was going on in here. 
And if I was to turn my phone off and try to go to bed, what I was going to wrestle with in here wasn't worth the fight to me. Jacob was alone. He begins to wrestle. And as he wrestles with God all night, dawn begins to break and he says, let me go. And Jacob says, I'm done fighting with myself and fighting with you. I'm not letting you go unless you bless me. But God's response is interesting. God could have responded and said, I'm going to give you more stuff. I'm going to give you influence. I'm going to make you go okay with Esau in the morning, that thing you're scared about. He could have said all of that. But his response to Jacob is asking him his name. And I can see Jacob just shrinking back in the moment as tricking Esau out of his birthright pops into his head. As tricking Esau out of his blessing pops into his head. As tricking Laban as he ran away from him pops into his head. And he responds, not my name is Jacob. But in that moment, he probably responded with the weight of my name is liar and deceiver. Some of us, if we're being honest, when we put our heads on our pillows at night, when we're finally in the silence, when we're finally in the quiet, and we kind of ask ourselves, who am I really? We begin to feel the weight of that name that we give ourselves. You're a loser. You're not going to make it. You're a failure. But I love God's response. You are no longer Jacob. From now on, you will be called Israel. For you have fought with God and man, and you have won. God's response to Jacob was not, I'm going to give you more stuff so you feel better about everything you're doing. God's response to Jacob was, I'm going to change you from the inside out so you can have a soul that lives in harmony. So you can have a soul that's at rest. So you don't have to strive anymore. I'm going to prove to you in my encounter with you right now that it's not about what you do. God's more concerned about who we are. And I'm going to pause. God's interruption with Jacob was to pause long enough to say, Jacob, you're okay. All the fighting to this point, all the wrestling to this point, all the trying to prove that you're not something that you actually are, all that. It's okay. That's not who you are anymore. From now on, you're going to be a new creation. There should be similar language to us. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. I know, we're going to wrap up right now. I know what it's like to wrestle with God. I really do. And, And I've been honest with this group. Some of you guys haven't heard my story. I failed out of two colleges. Still haven't gone back. Failed out of Bible college, which is hard to do, by the way, for the record. I know what it's like to struggle with depression. I know what it's like to supposed to be going to school and just not having the ability to get up. Actually, I know what it's like to trick your parents. I, get, I would get up and I would drive around my neighborhood until my parents went to work and then I'd go back home and go back to bed. I know what it's like to wrestle. I know what it's like to have an inner monologue that says, hey, people call you Ed, which is leader and protector and overseer, but really, you're kind of just a failure and you're struggling to get through life right now. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to walk through Alzheimer's with my grandpa, which rocked my theology to the core. I had to wrestle with God with that. My grandpa was a missionary in Africa for 20 years, gave the prime years of his life to a foreign country that most of us will never go to. 
and he has Alzheimer's. And I know what it's like to go to bed at night wondering, why don't I spend more time with him? Why don't I spend more time with him? Will he remember me? What's going on? I, I remember what it's like. I know what it's like to wrestle with God on that one. I remember walking into my pastor's office, sitting down and saying, I'm not leaving until you prove theology to me that says that this is okay. It's okay, friends, to wrestle with God and man. Some of us are sitting in this room and we feel like failures because we've been asking God big questions that we feel like he hasn't answered yet. And we've been wrestling with him for a long time. Why did this happen to me? Why do I struggle like this? Why do I feel like that? I, I would ask the question tonight. Have we really gotten into the silence enough to allow God to wrestle back? Because it says that he was alone and then a man came and wrestled with him. It doesn't say that Jacob stood on a mountaintop and started screaming, God, where are you? You need to prove your point. I think God is more than willing to get in the trenches with us and prove himself true. The question becomes this. First of all, are we going to be okay with the answer? Sometimes it's not what we want. And second... Are we going to be okay losing? It's funny that Jacob wrestled with God all night. Pretty confident in his ability to wrestle with God all night. I think a lot of us like standing on the mountaintop proclaiming, Hey God, come on, come down here, prove yourself to me. And then when we start realizing what it's going to mean for him to prove himself to us, it's not, not worth it. The last thing wrestling with God is you've got to be willing to deal with the after effects. It says that God touched Jacob's hip and dislocated it. You think about the human body and where the source of power comes from. It's actually in your legs and your hips, right? So Jacob, who had fought with man his whole life, been trying to prove himself as a manly man his whole life, now walks with a limp. The source and the core of his strength is obviously gone as he walks out the rest of his life. And yet we see a similar passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians where Paul says, I was given a thorn in my flesh to humble myself, to not think too highly of myself. Jacob's limp was a reminder that he was Israel. Jacob's limp was a reminder that he had wrestled with God and it was okay and that the source of strength for him moving on, the source of okayness for him moving on, the source of being for him moving on was actually coming from God and not what he did. Not from the presence that he could throw in front of him, hoping that man would be appeased, but from the strength and the grace that he received from God to continue on the line and the blessing that started with his grandfather. Can you bow your head and close your eyes? And real quick, I just have a question for you tonight. We look at Jacob's story and we see three major observations. And the first one is this. Is there a chance that because of what you think about yourself or what you're going through, that you've put on someone else's clothing trying to get someone else's blessing? Is there a chance that God made this promise to you a long time ago and you find yourself wondering, how is that going to happen? So I guess I have to become someone else in order to receive it. 
Second question is this. Is, is there a chance that you're just throwing presence out in front of people? That you've become obsessed with your doing, that you've lost keeping track of how you're being? Is there a chance that you're so concerned about what people would think about you if they actually got past what you're hoping they see first? And the last group I want to pray for tonight, is there a chance that you're wrestling with God right now? There's some area in your life that you've been running from for a long time. Maybe you're even standing on a mountaintop screaming, hey God, come prove yourself to me. Is there a chance that you find yourself wrestling with God tonight? If you're in any of those categories, I'm not going to make a big deal out of it, but can you just put your hand on your heart for me? I just want to pray for you. Not a big deal, and no one's looking around, but... God, I, I thank you that we see hope in the story of Jacob. That even though we may have this inner monologue and this inner name we've given ourselves, even though we may find ourselves struggling, even if we may find ourselves trying to be someone that we're not, even if we're wrestling with you, that your desire is to encounter us and remind us that we're a new creation in you. That it doesn't matter what man says, it doesn't matter even what we say about ourselves, but that you have a new name for us, you have a new creation for us to step into. And we thank you, God, that you're working in us so that you can work through us. That we don't have to do a bunch of good in order to belong, in order to be okay. But with you, we can start being okay. And from that starts flowing the good that we can do. We thank you, God, that you're faithful, that you're true, and that you're with us. We worship you in your name. Amen. Thanks for being here tonight. Uh, I'm excited for next week. Hopefully we see you on Sunday. If not, have a good night.